Hi, I'm Gary Nall, and this is a continuation of our ongoing series on self-empowerment lectures. Today, the theme is Stop Lying, Start Living. Now, many of you don't lie. Many of the rest of you don't intentionally lie, but what happens when your belief system is misconstrued? Let me give you an example. Let's say that there are a group of people who believe their religion is the only religion, and their God is the only God. Sound familiar? Well, to hundreds of millions of people, that's true. But you mean there is a different God for every religion? Or is there one God or no God? I don't talk about religion, I don't talk about sex, and I don't talk about politics because people have their own views and they have a right to those views, right or wrong. I simply observe the outcome of having any belief that is out of balance with what should be moral, ethical, and honest ways of communicating. So if you have 10 religions and they all believe that there's a sanctity to life and therefore they respect life, good. That's terrific. But what if one religion wants to subjugate other people to its beliefs throughout history? Well, then there is a lie per perpetrated and a lot of people will go full steam into any conflict without thinking, is this right? Let me give you another example right here in the United States. How about the Tulsa riots? One of the most prosperous communities in America was the principally African-American community of Tulsa. The trouble is when a false statement was made and accusations were thrown against a couple African-Americans, it was the perfect opportunity for people who were highly racist to go in and destroy the community kill a great many people, and in effect, bring to ashes the whole town. And yet, look at who was held accountable. How about almost no one? What about all the people that would go from a church, preaching in Jesus' teachings, let's say in the Old South, and then go out to watch a hanging? Nothing better than that, right? Because your belief system allowed you to believe that that person being hung wasn't a real human being, didn't suffer like you and I. They were, well, they were no better than a rabies dog, and so they would have a picnic. Children would be there to celebrate as they tortured, burned, castrated, hung, and killed a human being, most of whom were completely innocent of any indiscretions, let alone breaking any laws. And then think of all the laws that have been imposed where you were taught to obey the law because the law was the highest power in that land. Now think of all the good Germans. Over 40 million people obeyed the law. So when the law says that Jews will be excluded from teaching in universities, Jews will be excluded from the medical profession, Jews will be excluded from the scientific community, Jews will be excluded from having businesses even to other Jews, and therefore, because they were a challenge and a threat to the Aryan purity of the gene pool of those who were considered Christian, in fact, they would have breakfast. They would go to church. They would pray and sing, come home, and again, have a meal, and then walk off joyfully to Auschwitz, where they would then kill people. I've seen the actual footage. I've seen the footage of people, on the one hand, juxtaposing the atrocities of people starving to death and being brutalized, and on the other hand, people who were laughing and having fun. It was a Sunday, time to rejoice with family. That's just one of the extremes of people who are misguided. 
and therefore don't challenge their existing belief system. What about all the people in the United States who think it's completely normal to eat whatever you want, as much as you want, as often as you want? Now, are these people misguided? Are they maladaptive? Are they propagandized? Are they commodified? Are they commercialized by people who profit from that? Because sh show me a way that someone cannot profit from you and suddenly you don't see interference in your life. You're not directed to go to line A or line B. It's assumed then you can make up your own decisions. And historically in America, we've always had political campaigns that have been extremely contentious. We've had lies and rumors uh, spread about politicians, even going back to George Washington and John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, all of them, right up to the present day. In the last election, we were told that it was only deplorables that voted for Donald Trump. Okay, you're talking about 63 million people who are deplorable, and in their eyes, a deplorable is a redneck, racist, misogynist, homophobic person well, gee whiz, that means you don't have to show him any respect. If you don't show him any respect, you can do whatever you want to him, you can call him anything, and there's no consequence. If there's no consequence, it's because you've dehumanized a person, you've demonized a person. But a lot of the people I've spoken with in my travels were lifelong Democrats. They believed in democratic and liberal principles. They were anti-war. They were for the common good. They were for common places, our national parks. They were for, for collective bargaining. They're the ones who were the backbone of almost 51% of all Americans in 1945 joining unions. And those unions made sure that it wasn't an imbalance where the corporate profits and the corporate power dominated and then the workers' rights, similar to those in the 1800s in the Industrial Revolution, collapsed. No, we didn't have child labor because of unions. And we didn't have people working themselves to death. We didn't, no longer had women who would work in the garment industry in a factory, and there was a gigantic factory far that killed over, I believe, 100 women because women's rights were now considered viable and important. Then again, we didn't consider Native American rights viable, and they were the last to get rights. And African Americans before them, women before them. So there was a hierarchical order and that hierarchical order has not changed a great deal. There are rights now. But what would happen if we took away the laws that protected those who are discriminated against? I was thinking of this one time. What would happen if we took out all the windows on Fifth Avenue? Just all the windows, and you wouldn't be prosecuted for stealing. Do you think it would be more than about a second and a half before nothing was left in value of any window? The same mindset that allows people to trample people to death, walking over a body instead of getting down and helping that person up so they can get another flat screen TV, I guess, to put in the shower or the bathtub when they're watching. They have one in all the other rooms of the house. Of course, they can't pay that bill, but that's not an issue. That's just an inappropriate decision. Are they the ones who are going to be the moral compass for society? Are the people who killed people in Vietnam, are they going to be the moral conscience of a society? Are the people who orchestrated all these conflicts by lies and deceptions and propaganda going clear back to the father, father propaganda, Edward Bernay, are they one day going to wake up and say, okay, as of today, we will not interfere in any democratically elected process in the world. We're not going to bring our faux freedom, our faux democracy, and our faux our faux human rights to that country because it's just the opposite. 
everything is its opposite. Now the clever part is, how do you make something that is not normal and not, let's say, moral and not ethical, how do you suddenly make that, in our minds, moral and ethical? So it's a lie when someone says, we're a democracy and yet we're not, we're a republic. And it's a lie when we say we're the healthiest nation in the world because they've conflated the, spending the most money in the world with being the healthiest. We spend $3.5 trillion a year on maintenance of medical pathologies. So if you have diabetes, we'll get you on drugs. If you have cancer, on drugs, surgery, radiation, heart disease, statins, and other drugs. Uh, if you have, or if you're obese, we'll put you on drugs or give you some form of surgery, like stapling your stomach. If you have any kind of emotional problem, even though it's never been proven by any test at all, that bipolar, schizophrenia, none of these have ever been proven to be an imbalance in brain chemistry, we'll give you selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. We've never cured a single person in America's history using the current medical industrial complex's notion of what mental illness is. And yet, the same kids that go out and shoot people in Columbine, and almost 90% of all other mass murders have been with people who are on those antipsychotic and antidepressant medications when they did that. Yet the media will never look at that. It's always the guns or something in their background or behavior, but never medications. Because the medication side effect includes suicidal ideation and committing suicide. And now the number one cause of death in 10 to 14 year old boys is suicide. When I was growing up, I don't know about you, did you ever hear of any kid ever committing suicide? Now we are have a room of senior citizens we're here for an anti-aging study. That means the average age, I'm guessing, is around 70, in this room, 75. So we have a whole room filled here. Hands for anyone who knew people that committed suicide as teenagers. How about none? But now, it's the number one cause. And 10 million American children go to school each day, but first they have to take their meds. And are those meds proven to help or improve their condition? Not at all. In fact, you'll see kids on multiple medications because there is no deterrence. All you have to do now is label a kid, you're bipolar. Well, what's that mean? 600,000 babies or toddlers, infants, were given antipsychotic medication because, quote, they're bipolar. You mean if a baby laughs and cries, they're bipolar? How in the world could any legitimate doctor suggest that a very powerful one of these psych psychiatric medications would be good for a baby. So that's what we become, an overly medicated society, overdiagnosed society, because someone's profiting from it. One of the people in the room here went to the hospital uh, because they had a stomach ache. And the, they got a simple, quick, how you doing? Let's get you an ice pack. There was no medical procedure as such. And you were charged, you show me the bill. I, was it about $10,000? $10,000 for an ice pack on your stomach. Oh, an IV. Oh my God. A $1 bag of saline solution. I forgot. That's $9,998. I guess the ice pack is a buck. Now that's purely unmitigated greed, but also it's a lie. Because it's a lie to say you're helping people in that emergency room when what if that person doesn't have insurance or savings? That's the number one cause of bankruptcy for several years. Before it was 
medicine. Now, uh, for the, about 10 years, it was home foreclosures and you couldn't pay your mortgage, so it was bankruptcy. And now it's back to medicine being the number one cause. Do we ever talk about that? No. Also, four scientists, MEMDs and PhDs, all with an academic background, joined me 15 years ago because we wanted to ask a basic question. If we're spending all this money on healthcare, shouldn't we have good results? Right? It's a legitimate question, but so there would be no bias, there were no opinions offered. It was strictly using the establishment's own scientific evidence. So if we quoted unnecessary surgeries, heart surgeries, we use the American College of Cardiology. If it was something done to the brain, American College of Neurology. So we only use peer-reviewed literature from their studies, and lo and behold, we found that medical errors, also known as iatrogenesis, was the number one cause of death. Now, the AMA had said it was the number three cause of death, but they did not include sepsis. They didn't include, for example, something really easy to prevent, and that is ulcers on a person's body because they're not being moved, and they develop some form of bacterial infection, and then it becomes septic, and then they amputate, and frequently they die. So when you add in the infections they died from, including gangrene, and the malnutrition they developed from being inside the hospital in one year, we found that was 50,000 Americans, then it's number one. And could range anywhere from a low end of, let's say, 650,000 up to almost a million people per year. Now you'd think over the last 40 years, if it's shown that you've killed maybe 20 million of your own citizens, that someone would say, hold on a second, hold on. Before we continue what we're doing, shouldn't we at least be honest honest, there's your honest, about are we providing people with truly the best care they could get? Are we preventing disease? Do we have a preventive program? And of course, reasonable people say, well, most of my patients die, and now we know they're not dying from cancer per se, they're dying, at least 50% are dying from the treatment, which itself is immunosuppressive, and it's, it causes cancer. Radiation and chemotherapy both cause cancer. So maybe we should Maybe we should change the direction we're going. Never happened. In fact, no profession in medicine has changed at all. In fact, one good example of that is synthetic hormone replacement therapy for women who are in menopause or postmenopause, who are very susceptible to heart attacks and stroke, and they're being given uh, synthetic estrogen replacement therapy. So I looked at the scientific literature and I found from their literature that hormone replacement therapy to prevent hot flashes and, and osteoporosis causes heart attacks, strokes, colorectal cancer, um, dementia. And I'm thinking, wow, those kill people. Menopause doesn't kill anyone. It may be discomforting, but why not look at Dong Kwai and Fo Tai and Passion Flower and Vitex and other therapies and dietary therapies that have been shown to work. Now, how do I know they work? Because I led the largest study, 500 people for a year, where we put people on an exclusive vegan plant-based diet and gave them the supplements and the botanicals that are known by the scientific literature to help rebalance a woman's hormones. As a result of that, exercising and de-stressing, and these were weekly classes, 52 weeks, we were able to reduce 
menopausal symptoms and by almost 92%. We were able to publish in the Peer Review Journal, and I was invited to scientific conferences to share the findings of that. Not a word in the media. It's like it didn't happen. But it did happen. I was there. We filmed it. It doesn't matter. Now this gets me to the second way that we lie. Whatever challenges the power of a belief system must be excluded from any discussion. So if you're a person that sees it being in Vietnam or Afghanistan or Iraq or Syria or Libya or Honduras or Venezuela and any other place we've engaged in regime changes, over 59 regime changes since World War II, then maybe we're not really honoring freedom, democracy in those countries. Maybe we're just honoring the people who have either an ideological, political, or economic agenda. But no, you will never hear the peacemakers, the philosophers, religious leaders, the uh, career diplomats who can speak the language of a country, you never see them coming forward and saying, we did it all wrong, before we go into another one of these misadventures where no one's held accountable, and I mean no one is ever held accountable, why don't we just take an honest look at what our real motives are? Ah, well, that's a different story. And that leads me to the next thing of how even good-natured people, well-intentioned people, if they've been conditioned to believe in something, are more likely to embrace a false belief, and therefore they're supporting a lie. Let's just give an example of children watching television. There was a group, a small group of women up in Boston back in the early 1970s who found that the advertisements on television were wrong. They were promoting sugar-coated cereals and items in a meal that were bad, like a glass of milk. But what if your kid's allergic to dairy? We weren't even acknowledging that dairy is a major allergen back then. And what if we're putting too much sugar? And what about all the chemicals in the food, all the artificial flavors and coloring agents and, and then synthetic chemicals? A Dr. Feingold out in California called me one day and he said, I'd like to be on your radio show. And this is when I was on ABC radio. And I said, sure. He sent me just volumes of documents showing that children in particular are extremely sensitive to the adulteration of food and that almost every single item, and he, he, he actually had someone from the office monitor children's ads every single day, all day, and then showed how unhealthy these ads products were. Like instead of an orange juice, and nobody would be opposed to a glass of orange juice, that's healthy, right? Bioflavonoids and polyphenols and vitamin C, quercetin, all that's good. Now these were orange drinks, in fact, children had become so used to drinking orange drinks, meaning just water with artificial color agents, some of which are carcinogenic, and sugar, or artificial sweeteners later, that the kids were hyperacting. And he said, I want you to speak with someone. So I sent all that material up to the Boston, and they already had a lot of that. And I got a call from a physician, in fact, she had two board certifications. Internal medicine was one, and uh, cardiology was another. And she said, I didn't believe in any of this, meaning that your diet, your food could impact your well-being. 
But then I started noticing that my three sons were bouncing off the walls in the morning. I wasn't aware that everything they were eating, all junk food, we didn't think that food was that important. You know, just give them some protein and give them some carbohydrate and give them some fat and that was it. The basic four food group, the food pyramid. And so she took them to see fine gold in California. She didn't live in California. The results were when they went on a detoxification program, an elimination diet, eliminated all these artificial foods and supplements, her kids were completely normal for the first time that she could remember in their lives. They were teenagers at the time. And she said, I felt so humiliated. I felt so embarrassed. I went through this deep, deep depression because I, I thought, my God, I've been the cause of my kids being diagnosed with ADD and ADHD and put on Ritalin and then going through these deep mood cycles. And I just, I'm a physician. I'm, I'm a double board certified physician. I should have known better. And that's when I said, well, do you think that you're propagandizing and your conditioning through medical school had anything to do with it? She's absolutely, absolutely. Medical doctors are not allowed critical thinking that's different from what they're taught. PhDs, like myself, we can only become advanced in what we do if we can prove to a committee of people in our field that we are contributing something unique to that field. If we can't do that, we don't get our doctorate. That's why a lot of doctorates take nine to 12 years to get. You have to prove excellence of, of field. I mean, something that you're contributing that others go, that's good. Medicine, no. You remember, you're studying, you're, you're really disciplined, and then from then on, everything that happens in your office is gonna be influenced by who's making money from you. I'll give you an example. I interviewed several people, filmed them actually for a film I did called Death by Medicine, where they were very attractive. There's always attractive men and women. They look like they just stepped out of the pages of, of Vogue. And they're bright. They generally have a good educational background. They're generally in their early to mid-twenties. And they go through classes with the pharmaceutical company where they have these discussions. They have a line of people in here and a line of people there. And one person is the doctor playing the doctor or nurse. The other person is playing the detail person. They're, they're drug detail people. And how to get everyone to agree to let you first get in the office. They start bringing in free meals for the staff. And then it's every day. And then everything a person wants, no matter how expensive, they get it. Then it's offering the doctor free meals, either for themselves or friends, or if they're married, for the spouse and them. And then it's making sure that that doctor gets a first-class airfare with, if they're married, with their spouse, to go to an exotic location for maybe three days where really they're golfing, tennis, enjoying surfing, gourmet meals. But they have to do a little bit every day of being in a class and learning about a particular drug. And of course, the company sponsoring this is the person making the drug. <clears throat> it's extremely corrupt. And yet, rarely does a doctor say no. One example of this was, I was told, was that uh, the staff told about how the doctor really appreciated opera. So, the person, the detailed drug person from the company got tickets, box tickets at the Lincoln Center for opera. But before then, 
the most exclusive restaurant in New York where they had their own private table. Uh, they were serenaded by a violinist and the finest wine, they didn't ask for it, they were given the finest wine, uh, which is over $1,000 a bottle. The whole thing picked up in a limousine the whole evening, and yet nowhere will you see that as a conflict of interest because they don't have to report it. And they do all kinds of stuff, lectures, they get a stipend, honorarium. It's utterly corrupt from top to bottom. And yet now, because of the great work of Professor Angel, who was editor-in-chief of the New England Journal of Medicine for, I think, about 22 years now at Harvard, she exposed it. But other people exposed it. So it's not as if it's something that everyone's arguing doesn't exist. Corruption in all areas of medicine exists. It doesn't mean that every doctor is bad or corrupt. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the institution of medicine is utterly corrupt and it's failed. When you have tens of millions of people who are dead because they trusted completely in 100% in, in into therapy and you're allowing 560,000 people this year to die of cancer, well, there should be some element of humility because there and again, that's a lie. How can you say you have the best therapy when over a half million of your patients die? I would say that you're being rewarded for your effort, but not for results. I'd rather see people rewarded for results. But then there has to be someone within a movement that says, hold on a second, stop everything. We're living a lie. We keep bragging about how we are the ultimate authorities on health, and yet we don't do anything to promote anyone's health. We're not advocating anything we ourselves don't do. So if the average physician's overweight, stressed out, drinks or smokes, has a bad diet, and frequently a bad home life with children that haven't seen them, and therefore are themselves maladapted, well then, how can that person be an example and a model of anything except the dark side of medicine? So when I'm saying that we live in delusions, and not always just out and out lies, the institutions out and out lie, and, uh, and the government out and out lies, but that doesn't mean individuals are all susceptible. There's a growing number of people who are beginning to question things because they see what didn't work that we were promised would work and what was wrong, and we were told it was right. We see with the bailouts of Wall Street, who got the money? The banks. Who caused the problem and caused the recession? The banks. Well, why in the world will you give the power to Paulson, who was, uh, who was working on Wall Street, why give them the power to decide who's going to be helped because no small business person was helped, individuals weren't helped, no one put a moratorium on home foreclosures, no one get, forgave any debt. Oh, wrong. They forgave all the debt of major corporations that got in on that gravy train and all the banks. They gave them trillions of dollars at zero interest. So, isn't that all deception? Isn't that a lie? We're for the people. No, you're not. We want to bring freedom to Libya. No, you don't. You want their light oil, one of the richest reserves in the world. All right? We did it in Iraq the same way, because when we know that it was wrong to be there, we didn't withdraw. We didn't apologize. We didn't go back in where families that had both Shia and Sunni had been living cooperatively for a long time. We just left everything a complete shambles. We didn't go into any of the cities that had been uh, in deep despair, Detroit, Compton, Camden, New Jersey, Newark. We didn't go into any Rust Belt city and say, you know something? Honesty, big reveal. We 
we intentionally took your factories and moved them to China, to India, to Bangladesh, to Haiti, because we could get cheap labor without any environmental protections so we can make more profit. As a result, you all lost your jobs. We shouldn't have done that. We're called equity partners. We're called hedge funds. This is what happened. Almost 30 million Americans, working Americans, lost their jobs over a 30 to 35 year period because of this. And yet every president participated, Congress participated. No one says we shouldn't be doing this. No. We shouldn't be outsourcing our jobs. Now that we end up, the same politicians, same identical people go around and say, let's bring jobs back to Detroit. Let's bring jobs. You're not doing anything for the people here. You make a promise, kiss a baby, eat a hot dog, and wave, and off you go in your private jet. But you're an environmentalist. Private jet doesn't count, right? And that's the world we live in. So when I'm talking about stop lying and start living, well, think of all the couples that have joined clubs by tens of millions that commit adultery. Isn't that a lie to the relationship and the sanctity of that relationship, marriage? Or Yes, to me it is. And what about making sure that your kid goes to a private school for the best teachers and the best education? Well, isn't that a lie if you really care about society? You're absolutely creating a bias. There is a bigotry involved, and frequently that is also a racial bigot, where you don't want your kid hanging around with people who are not in the same economic or, uh, let's say, advantage class. Well, why don't we actually address it for what it is? Why can't we just be honest? So you see, I can show you a nation of obese adults, obese children. I can show you the sickest nation per population on the earth, us. I can see us spending the most money in the world so he can get pay $10,000 for getting a $1 IV of saline solution and an ice pack for his stomach, nothing else. I can see a snake bite, whether it's poison or not, costing over $158,000. I can see simple surgeries that cost one-fifth in other countries and just as good, but everything is about looking at you as nothing more than a profit center. Now, do you recognize this? You have an opportunity to challenge me if anything I've said is exaggerated or untrue. So it's your turn. Anything I've said is untrue? Call me out. Makes sense? Yes. Okay. Show of hands. Do you believe that what I've been sharing with you, based on years of experience, including professors we have here and people from all walks of life, many of you very successful, very successful school teacher there, people in other professions, <clears throat> if you've seen this, then have you addressed it? Right? And when you try to address it, you got smacked down, right? Because your students were the ones that you taught in your own unique way to learn differently, making the classroom fun, a living experience, a creative experience, and for having kids that were at the high end without cheating and without floating the standard, you didn't take an F student and an A student, suddenly they all got Bs. No, you gave grades based upon the quality of a person's work and that's the way it should be. That's, by the way, did any of you growing up, were you able to cheat and get away with it? No. No. Were you able to not do homework and say, I want an A even though I got an F? No. What would your parents have said to you? Go back to work. Yeah. No, our parents wouldn't have allowed us to get away with it. Today, 
parents see that their child has not gotten the right grade, they get on the phone and, and demean and curse, and even go in there and just beat down a teacher, physically beat them. Am I telling the truth or not? Step up here. Step up here, please. Because I want you to hear this. And by the way, they have masks and they have, because we're keeping everybody as healthy as possible. No one, by the way, they've been in quarantine for three weeks and not a single person here is sick. They're all healthy. But they're wanting to keep this just to give an example of what they can do when they go home. How many years were you a teacher? Ten full, complete years of doing the special teaching. Okay. Is it true that the system and all of its top-heavy administrators who contribute nothing to the teaching process or the students' advancement were part of the problem? That was the biggest problem, yes. Was it also true that the resources that you needed and your children needed, you didn't get? We couldn't get it. Okay. Was it true that you used a different way of teaching and therefore your students were better prepared and yet you were condemned and actually they wanted to throw you out? As a, you, they wanted you to be fired because you weren't going along with it. Correct. So they were teaching to the test, and you were teaching to the attitude to create critical thinking. Absolutely correct. Have you seen how utterly, completely, totally corrupt our entire educational system is? I have. I have. Okay. And we have a chairman of a department here. Thank you very much. Uh, and, and a professor for years at a highly respected school. I won't embarrass her. But please, Susan, come up here for one second. <clears throat> Now, you've been teaching for a long time. I have, but it's a little bit different because I've been at a public institution. Okay. What do you say is the most serious challenge that schools, teachers, and students face? Well, one thing is for sure, for, for university students, getting out of school with debt, which most of these schools are just extraordinarily I mean, people have 60, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. I think it's one of the most damaging things for the rest of the person. Is that debt intentional? Yes. Harvard, Yale, yes. Stanford. Yes, absolutely. They know what they're doing. That's, that's why I feel I'm so lucky to have been teaching in, in, in the city university. But you're also aware how debt accumulates and everybody profits from that debt, including debtors' prisons. Everybody. Everybody feeds off a student's lack of knowledge of what ultimately will be lack of jobs, lack of well-paying jobs, frequently taught in courses they shouldn't be taught, so they're not prepared. They're up against automation, artificial intelligence, transhumanism, and visas by people coming in who were taught what they need to do in a field and come in and taking the job of people who are, have seniority and therefore they're a detriment to the company because why pay someone 150000 who's been here 30 years when you can pay someone 24 years old $40,000 and no benefits? Have you seen this? Um, what I see is a lot of adjuncts. Well, that's, is, that's, is, that's, is, that is peonage. Yeah. I mean, we, we have a tremendous number of adjuncts and uh, the city university is, is better than some because we do have health, health insurance for them, but most places don't even have that. And you know, the average adjunct, and they can be brilliant in their field and great teachers, they only make under $40,000 a year. It's, it's very, very rough. I, you know. And they can't get tenure, they can't get a full position, so they're exploited. And they're exploited to keep costs down 
So they, and we are really lucky because we still have a union. Yeah, well, you're the exception, <laughs> right? You're the exception. But it's, you know, it, it still doesn't help with that. At, at one of the colleges, one of the universities I've taught at, I spoke with the dean. He was a friend of mine. And his wife uh, was also um, chairman of a department. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, why do you pay so little? And he just turned to me. He was driving me back from my class. And he said, because it's profitable. I said, surely there's something else I'm not aware of. No, no, it's, we could pay them. We have endowments, we have money. But we, right now, universities can charge pretty much what they want. And, and he said, the kids who feel that they need to go to this university because of what we specialize in, they'll, they'll take out the debt. And about 40% of the debt is held by the government. The government can forgive those billions of dollars. They choose not to. So I just wanted, you know, yeah. you've been through the system, you know how it works. Yeah, I, I, it's, uh, it, it really, I mean, I think it's just a shame. Good, thank you. So you've heard from a professor, you've heard from a teacher, and by the way, being a teacher, being a professor, myself, I can tell you that the entire system needs a complete overhaul because it's living a lie. It's not giving quality education to the average student. Also, the idea that you get a better education, you're going to be smarter, you're going to have better teachers at a private institution like Harvard than you would at a public institution, that's a lie also. But we want to believe in these myths because if you go to SUNY, a good school, all right, uh, Hunter College, a good school, right, that doesn't look great on a resume. Harvard, Yale, Stanford, Columbia, Penn State, University of Chicago, that looks good on a resume. Suddenly, there is a bias, and there shouldn't be a bias when you're talking to people. If you, want, if you want to have some capacity to judge someone, judge them by what they have achieved in a job before then, and their references, and are they qualified to do the job you have? And yet Wall Street and corporate America hires people based upon their resumes and how gold-plated that resume is, plus other things like, did the father give us an endowment that they build a building? I can tell you, any father that builds a building on a university campus, a hedge fund, a billionaire, their kids are not going to have the same problem getting into that school as the average kids. This is known. This isn't, this isn't myth. So there's a lie. You know, we have quality education for everyone. We do not. You know? So I'm, I was simply curious about this question. So on the one hand, we lie a lot. Institutions lie nonstop. Is your chemical pesticide safe? Absolutely safe. Okay, so we trust it's safe. It's sprayed everywhere. Is DDT safe? It's so safe, we were told, that people would be in their swimming pools, at public swimming pools, or lined up, and you just get sprayed in this fog of DDT. I remember that as a little boy, mm -hmm. right? And then we found out it's extremely carcinogenic. Then we found out that glyphosate is a carcinogen, but that also was only when, under Freedom of Information Act documents, uh, the Monsanto's files that it had for years showing how toxic it was and all the things it will uh, create came forward. And then Robert F. Kennedy and a couple other lawyers sued. They won three straight lawsuits, and that opened the door. Now they're almost, I just spoke with him yesterday, Robert F. Kennedy. This is like 49,000 lawsuits, and then it'll double. It'll be 100,000 lawsuits. 
all because they got away with lying until they no longer could. But how about all the people that haven't been held accountable yet? And how about those who have been held accountable and all they had to pay is a fine and go back to doing business as usual? You know, we wouldn't allow for organized crime members. Okay, you killed some people, you cut up their bodies, you dumped them in the river, give us $10,000 and go back to doing it. We would say that that's wrong. Hold someone accountable. Remove them from civilized society. We don't do that with corporations. We say the individual is not responsible, the charter is responsible. When was the last time you heard of a chartered corporation, which is all corporations, losing their charter? That's a door they don't want to open because once you start removing a charter, then all corporations are equally susceptible. So the solution, which is self-evident, Occam's razor, Occam, the 14th century uh, theologian and philosopher, said cut right through, get to the heart of it. Take away charters from corporations that defy the law and put people's health at risk, knowingly so, they shouldn't be in business. And yet, I hired two lawyers, two young lawyers, and after a year, they found hundreds of thousands of lawsuits from all the banks on Wall Street, the people that we say are the best and smartest on the block, and they found hundreds of thousands of lawsuits settled from pharmaceutical companies. In fact, they could find none that weren't involved in litigation and settling. Not a single person went to jail. They just paid fines and business as usual. So then we have a lie that all of us are held accountable by the same standard with laws. We're not. Clearly we're not. You know, we have shown that uh, profiling of uh, people of color is off the charts. But when was the last time you saw profiling down on Wall Street, where everyone you, who came out of a building, you profiled? Never happened. How about coming out of a Broadway play? Never happened. How about coming out of churches? Never happened. How about on, walking down the streets of uh, Stanford, Connecticut? or Darien, Connecticut. Never happened. Ah, but in Harlem, Bed-Stuy, yeah, happens to be highly dense population of people of color, not just African-Americans, but Latinos, Indians. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of times per year. Is that fair? No. Is that racist? Yes. Is that institutional racism? Yes. So how can you say that you, you are fair and equal as a judge, a prosecutor, a jailer, a police officer to make their... No, you're a racist if you do that. Do you understand that? Is that reasonable or not? Mm -hmm. yes. Don't tell me you're one thing and you do just the opposite, but I'm supposed to judge you by what you said you are instead of what you did. I'm going to judge you by what you do. And boy, we have a hard time. We lie. We don't accept the truth when the truth is challenging the primary beliefs that we've held. And that's why even with laws... To end segregation, we still have racism. Now, I'm merely giving you examples up to this point. So when people say, we don't lie, yeah, we do. Collectively, we lie. Individually, we lie. In groups, we lie. Institutionally, we lie. At the government level, we lie. The media lies. Banks lie. Remember all the redlining they did? So if you wanted to get a loan for a home, you couldn't get one in certain areas. They wouldn't allow you to get one. And all the usurious loans... They wanted you not to be able to make payments on a credit card because they could jump up. And by the way, when you missed paying on one credit card, all your credit cards reset automatically to the higher level, even though you hadn't been behind on those payments. The system itself lies. But that doesn't mean, however, that you personally lie 
You can also be honest, and if you're honest, you're going to be healthier and happier. So let's go to the other side of the equation now. We've shown you the dark side of the equation. We've shown you the truth that we're too embarrassed to ever have a discussion on television or in a public arena, how utterly and completely corrupt those who are corrupt in the system are willing to be in order to advantage the system to themselves. Now there's another part, and you have to look at the opposite, and the opposite is a good picture. People still maintain their ethics, their morals, and their independent judgment, so they're not just a reflective part of a herd. They don't want to be a consensus. They want to be uniquely autonomous. Let me make up my mind for myself. Then I own the consequences. So, the first thing we do is resist, and this is very important, resist following bad choices. And there's a moment in life where we're, we're going to make a choice and we have to decide, is this a good choice? And how so can I prove it? What is the proving? And this is a new concept I have also. It's called the proving. Did you cut the grass? Oh, it's done. Okay, did you do your homework? It's done. Did you clean up your room? It's done. I did it. And we accept that more often than not. We shouldn't. We should simply go in and see, was the grass cut properly? Was the lawnmower clean and blade sharpened afterwards? What, did they actually do their homework? And if so, to what degree? Is the room really clean? Did they clean under the bed, their closets, the bathroom? The things that any responsible person would look for, we don't. <clears throat> we take everything for granted. Are you eating? Oh, I'm, I'm on a good diet. There was someone who was here in October, and he had very debilitating um, conditions of pain from diabetes, had pain standing. You all who were here will remember him. I won't mention his name, not to embarrass him. But I helped him, and he left here being able to walk. He could actually walk, and he had no pain. He had neuropathy. So when he got home, and, and I said, now, are you going to stick with the protocol? 100%. You think I'm a fool? Okay, so I didn't hear from him for about three, four months. And his daughter called me and says, could you help my dad? He's got his neuropathy. Well, how did he get it back when it was gone? He tells me he eats salads and wild salmon, and he doesn't eat any wild salmon. He doesn't eat salads. All day long he eats ice cream, watches television, and that's all he does. And then when I took him someplace, all he did was load up with junk food, potato chips. So I get him on the phone, and I said, why'd you lie to me? You've been my friend 35 years. I've never once asked you a way of living. I never ask any of my friends because you're my friends. I care about you, and I respect, I respect that boundary where I cannot take my ideas into your life. I have no right to do that. But in your case, you invited me to put you on a program, and I did, and you saw the positive results. And you've seen the positive results working in my office in New York on thousands of people who, over the time that they were on the protocols, improved your reverse disease. And yet your daughter is angry with you. I mean, she's really angry. She says, all you do is sit around all day, watch television, and eat ice cream and junk food. Well, um, I'm not sure that that's what I do. Yeah, that's what he does. So I said, when you can be honest with me, call me back. If you can't, then we're not going to talk again. And so it was about six months, and he called back. And he continued the wrong thing for six more months, and now he was really debilitated. And what angered him the most is he was losing his memory. 
And he's 71 years old, but he looks like death. So I brought him to my home, and for the next month I worked every day with him, and he got his health back, substantially. Two weeks after he got home, his daughter said he went right back to watching television eating ice cream. And I said, that's it. There's no more magic numbers. You're on your own. And he just lied. Oh, I'm not doing that. His daughter, hearing him say he didn't do that, gets the phone and says, Dad, you're a liar. And who, who benefits from lying? You do because you don't have to change. You're lazy, you're undisciplined, and you're an embarrassment. Because we have to come in here every day. We have to change your linens. You're incontinent. And he, he was. He was incontinent and unaware of it. He ruined, he ruined my couch in my, my guest house, ruined a mattress. Bamboo mattress, cost me about $4,000, allergy-free, all-natural. He soiled it and was not even aware of it. So that's what happens when you choose not to be disciplined, when you choose not to have an authentic life, when you choose not to care about the outcome of the choices you make. So think well about your choices. Your choice could get you into a good relationship or not a good relationship. And think of the pleasure at the beginning of a relationship and think of the pain at the end of a relationship. <laughs> All right? My suggestion is this. Have a wonderful relationship. Share everything you are with another person. But also be honest. Share your doubts. Share what you really need. Don't lie. And people lie all the time. All these dating services, everybody lies, right? You look at, you look at a friend of mine says, what, what do you make of this? I said, what do you mean? He said, here's a picture of someone I met last night for dinner. And here's the picture on her website. She's 40 years younger in the picture. Here's this wrinkly old person I met last night at dinner. And I said, what's going on here? This isn't a picture. Well, you know, if I told people my real age, there'd be ageism. Yeah, there's ageism. Be honest. Let, give me the chance to say it doesn't matter what your age is, but don't shock me like this, right? <laughs> and yeah, and this goes on all the time. And then people lie about, oh, I love to go for walks on the beach. I'll listen to Beethoven on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Bullshit, right? <laughs> read poetry. Yeah, no you don't. You haven't read a book in 20 years. It's all just lies. You know, I love romances. No you don't. You have needs. And someone else is there to supply your needs. Just be honest about it. What are your needs? Why are you really in a relationship? Now that's the only way to start a healthy relationship is know the consequence of an honest statement. Because if someone says, wow, these are what you really need. Yeah, this is what I'm looking for. These are my these are my fears and insecurities and uncertainties, and everyone in a relationship, sooner or later, they're all going to merge, you know, and one day you're going to wake up and you're going to say, whoa, what happened to that nice, light, fun, joyful person? Now everything is about your depression, your angst, your anxiety, you know, you, I, didn't, I didn't sign up for this. What well, only is when a person's been accepted, only when their, their level, their tolerance to use has gotten to a point where you can get away with being honest. Be honest at the beginning of a relationship. And if someone says, you got too much drama, too much luggage that I don't want in my life, good. You've been honest, they've been honest in return, it's not a fit. But at the same time, what if you have a lot of good things that you've done? And a lot of people do. I'm guessing about 5% to 7% of the American population are really together. No perfection, but a lot of good together. And they have mastered their life, not just a career. And so when you're around them, they're fun to be around. They're joyful. There's a lightness of being.
they live like Fred Astaire danced. It's smooth. Right? Everybody else is resist, resist, no, 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 can't, no, can't, no, I can't. I'm just asking, do you want a glass of water? <laughs> so, so with all that resistance, how are you supposed to flow? How are you supposed to harmonize? How are you supposed to find joy and creativity when everything you do is first put me in a straitjacket? Why would I put you in a straitjacket? We're going swimming. Huh? Because I'm a manic depressive. <laughs> I have no self-esteem, and low self-esteem is really a big deal because it's almost no self-esteem. Uh, and I'm not fun to be around. I'm going to talk all the time about my feelings, my pain. I'm not going to change anything. Whoa! I don't want that. So be honest to yourself. What is the likely outcome if you make a bad choice in a relationship? There's going to be bad endings, so here's what you do. Before you get married, spend time being honest. See what you have in common that you can share that's positive. Agree that the things that make you different are not necessarily bad on either side. So you, you don't go in that area because you have no right to get someone to change, right? Then have a wonderful honeymoon. Not a one-week honeymoon where you're watching. No computers, no cell phones. Just have all the sex you can, come back and immediately divorce. Because <laughs> that's the best that relationship's ever going to be. From then on, it's downhill. What do you want sex for? We had sex on our honeymoon. That was seven years ago. <laughs> well, just remember it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, we are having a lot of trouble with the consequence of a good choice. And more often than not, we'll make a choice based upon how we've been conditioned to believe that choice will come out. We become overly optimistic about our choices. If we're uncertain about the outcome, we want to be certain. Absolutely, it's going to work. It's going to work. Okay, and then it doesn't. And then your fallback position is triangulate blame. Make someone else responsible for the choice you made. Well, why not just look at what is the likely outcome of the choice? Just follow it through. And how do you know what your choice is going to be? The choice you're making will not be a good choice if you follow your constraints. We're going to end up with what we are unable to resolve in day-to-day -day life. That's going to be the choice. So that will help guide you in the choices you make. Next, do I engage in willful, willful ignorance? Meaning, before I make a choice, do I actually think, what do I need to know right now that I don't know? And what can I do to bring myself to an awareness of taking a tiny little look at life like this, a pinhole look, and broaden it out to I see context, I see a larger environment, I better understand the consequences of a good choice. I'm intentionally aware instead of intentionally ignorant. Because when we're intentionally ignorant, because we don't want to know the consequence, we don't want to know the outcome, we don't, sure as heck, we don't want to know that our belief system on any level is wrong, because then we'd be faced with guilt and shame. Do I change it? Do I not change it? Well, what if I just keep quiet and go along with it? So this passive acceptance of that which is negative and toxic is endemic in our society. So why not just say, I'm intentionally looking for the truth in places I would never look before. And what I'm finding when I'm looking for the truth in other places is that I've been living lies. I've been living conditioned response. I've been living epigenetic influence by people going back generations and now it's in my body. And if I don't want the outcome of that, I'm going to have to face, I have to make change. It's going to be painful because I may have to say goodbye to some people. I may have to lessen my 
activity. I may have to move to a different environment if this is not the ideal environment. So I came up with a simple formula. Here's the formula. And this is helping you so you don't engage in, well, it couldn't be bad eating this all, all. Look, they're saying you can get a whole breakfast for $4. How's that bad? Well, look at what you're eating. That's whether it's bad or not. But you have to do your research to show whether fried chicken with glazed donuts is good for you or whether some a homemade smoothie with bananas and pea protein and rice protein and raspberries and strawberries is good for you. You're going to choose one or the other. Why not become intentionally aware of the consequences by what's in it? Then make an informed decision. But we're not making informed decisions. Our religion, our ethnicity, our educational status, all these other people come in and silently influence us. So we're drawn to that which we're familiar with and drawn to that which we're accountable for and to. If you're in a corporate structure, you rarely, if ever, find whistleblowers whose lives depend upon that salary, even when they know they're, they're living a lie. They go along so they can have their economics supported. That's wrong. If you see something wrong, call it out. If you don't, then you are also culpable of participating in the outcome that is negative. So the next issue is this. As long as you take a look and your, your questions are this, answer them. Am I living in the right place? When I have people in New York City, even people who work for me, say, I can't afford to live in New York. So, unless I make $50 an hour, there's no quality of life. Because the things that make New York wonderful and, and unique, it's culture, I can't afford. You know, you can go to a Broadway play and spend $300. I don't have that. You can go to a concert and spend more. I don't have that. I can't afford the educational institutions, at least those that are private. And I can't afford rent. What you get for $1,200 a month is a little tiny room. So why would I live in a city that I cannot enjoy what made it unique? And at one time, unique for everyone. But now, only unique for the rich. And the rich aren't happy being smug, narcissistic, arrogant, egotistical, and sociopathic often because they have no compassion for the people they walk by, the people who are displaced in the neighborhood so they could have their gentrified multi-million dollar building complex and then unique little boutiques. They don't care about that. They care only about bringing attention to themselves and what their wealth can buy and how they can posture themselves within their social circles. Oh, I bought this, I can afford that. My kid goes here and we spend this. So life has to have a tag on it, a price tag. Okay, fine. So everything that you think makes you unique, simply put, like NASCAR, put some moniker on you. Put a price tag. You know, what your lifestyle costs. Start right up here, on your forehead. This is how much I spend per year. I make five million, I spend five million. How about that? And my kid can afford a $50 glass of beer at a place on the Upper West Side. So wealthy, we, we don't care about looking at the price. You have to look at the price of something, a dress, a car, well, you're not in our class, then, are you? So we exclude people that are unlike us, <clears throat> and we brag about the people who are like us. So you never see someone who's a billionaire wanting to go up to Harlem and live, or bedside. No. No, because that wouldn't maintain their image. But if you care about where you live, care about what does it mean to live in a place. If you want to be healthy, you don't live in the city. It's too polluted, too crowded, too noisy, too stressed. You live in a more rural environment. But people have been used to thinking that the only power to be 
is the power of living in a city and being a power player. When today we've completely dismissed all that because the internet allows us to be anywhere we want in the world and still communicate and still work and still share and still grow. Are you with the right people in your life? Do you have a good support system? Do you have people who can be honest with you when you step out of line and encourage you when you're doing the right thing? Do you care about them? Do you care about their interests and, and what makes them tick? Are you there to help them also? Is it all about you? So a good support system being in the right place and at the right time. Some things were right at one time, but they're not right today. That time has come and gone. So why not see at this time in your life, where should you be? And don't use yesterday and all of your memories, because then we'd all be back in small town America, or small neighborhood in New York or any other major city on our block where we didn't have to lock our doors and there was little to no crime and we knew our neighbors, there was a familiarity. That's never going to happen again. That's gone forever. We have, we have completely gone away from that. And that's painful for people of our generation because we remember when things were simpler, less confusing, less complicated, where there was less drama. Yeah, people had issues, but they weren't issues like we have today. No one was committing suicide, you know, and things were dealt with more or less by a community. And there were always elders that were there to help because we respected elders. Today, elders are dying alone uh, and lonely and unattended to by the rest of society. And we call ourselves a humane society. Well, my goodness, you've got communities that earn $100 a year in Africa who care more about the elders and their children than we do in the United States in the billionaires building over on Park Avenue. So let us stop this unique exceptionalism that we are and realize that we're anything but exceptional. We have, we have juxtaposed exceptional with selfish, greedy, insensitive, lacking empathy, and caring about only ourselves. So then also, do you have right ideas? Have you been living through everyone else's ideas or do you have some of your own? And if you do, why don't you use them? And are you, are you happy enough and balanced enough and together enough to make decisions to walk away from that which no longer serves and honors you? So when you look with intentional awareness at how to rebalance your life, then you're not living a lie. You're being honest to your authentic self. You're living a life based upon the principles you need and hopefully you'll find other communities in this country where people are similar of mind, and they exist, plenty of places, and so you can share that. So you're starting a new chapter and leaving yesterday behind. And you've got to leave yesterday behind. You've got to take off the rearview mirror so you're only looking ahead. Otherwise, you'll never go anywhere. You have your foot on your pedal and foot on the brake. You'll just be spinning wheels and that creates internal stress. You've got to surrender stuff in order to gain new stuff new knowledge, new awareness, understanding new cultures and habits and behavior, understanding different ways of being healthy. It's one of the great things going to a farmer's market. What's that? That's purslane. Hmm. Purslane looks like a weed. No, it's a crunchy, delicious, uh, succulent vegetable, you know, and put it in a salad. Well, I didn't know that. Well, if you never go to the farmer's market, you'll never know all these wonderful things that are locally grown. Next up, <clears throat> in order to make the right choices to not lie about anything, just tell the truth. How about that? How simple is that? That's as close to reality as you're ever going to get. Tell the truth, even if everyone else is living by deception, 
propaganda, and covert or overt lies. And if you're rejected by it, I'd rather be rejected by telling the truth and knowing the truth than be accepted by continuing lies. Because I didn't support Vietnam, I didn't support Afghanistan, the Mujahideen, I didn't support the attacks in Afghanistan and Iraq and all the other places. I didn't accept how the inequality actually occurred right in front of our eyes. It wasn't hidden. Outsourcing wasn't hidden. Corporate control of our schools wasn't hidden. Privatization of everything wasn't hidden because nobody cared anymore. And the small percentage who did didn't have the power to change the power brokers' minds. So just tell the truth. If something is not right, it's not right. Think through it. Ask yourself, am I missing something? And if you do your homework and you see what the truth is, that if you want to be healthy, you've got to live a healthy life. You can't eat junk foods and take a vitamin. That's not healthy. Stop living in any form of lack of intellectual, creative, and spiritual discipline. Just live an authentic life. One last one for this discussion. <clears throat> what do you accumulate and how much time and energy do you spend on it? Because, boy, we are focused upon accumulating things. The average person has a lot more in their life than what they need. And some people have massive amounts. We call them hoarders. But between a hoarder and a person that is overindulgent is the majority of people. Go into someone's attic, go into their basement, go into their garage, and see how much stuff they have. So how important was that stuff? What does that represent, having all that stuff? When I was in France the first time, a friend of mine, I was talking what I was wanting to do, see their lifestyle, and he went to his neighbors, and they were very hospitable. And uh, I said, what's in your refrigerator? Not a whole lot. Could I see? Yeah, they opened the refrigerator. Not a whole lot, they were right. But unlike in America, where you've all seen the stereotype, you open the refrigerator, there's nothing really good there except alcohol, right, or beer. And you wonder, how's that person ever eat, right? There's nothing there. Well, here, they have healthy food, and almost always, they go to a market, generally in the morning, and they buy fresh-made bread. They hand-select their vegetables that come in about 3 o'clock in the morning, and they set up these huge farmer's markets. And they go through and they select everything, and frequently, they'll put it in backpacks or in their saddles on the bikes. They drive it home. They like cheese, they like everything fresh, they like it organic. And so they also go to, like a woman says, oh, there's a farm down here, it's only three acres, but he has an enormous variety of stuff he grows, and, and we go there on Saturday, and whatever he has, we can buy at a very reasonable price. So we don't accumulate a lot, because we're constantly wanting fresh. That's the key. But on everyone's table, I found grapes. They eat grapes all the time which means they're getting resveratrol, a very important nutrient for the heart, for the brain, for anti-aging. They express themselves, hence they don't bottle up. You, know, you want to talk about a, two cultures that really express themselves. Well, three, the French, the Italians, and the Spanish. You don't have to guess what they're thinking. They're going to tell you. They like you, they tell you. They don't like you, they tell you. They're very upfront. They're very honest. And, and you've got to be aware of that because there's no filtering to be politically or culturally correct. It's just boom, that's it. <laughs> Here we disguise what we really feel, and as a result we get the reputation for being passive-aggressive. 
Hi, nice to see you. What a person. And did you know, ba 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 ba? We talk behind people's back. Just say what you feel. But keep in mind that what you're about to say could be weaponized, and words therefore have power. They can hurt and they can help. So think before you're impulsive. And could you use a feather instead of a sledgehammer when communicating with people? So these are some, but not all, of the ways that we can tell the truth, live an authentic life around other people. And I found other cultures are frequently more honest than we are. Um, it's amazing when I was in Great Britain, I've been there dozens of times, and I ask about who is your favorite British citizen, and they all say Winston Churchill. When I bring to their attention that he was a genocidalist, he was a sociopath, killed the Bengals, millions, and uh, he was part of the support of racism in South Africa, they didn't care. That was that, they loved him, that was it. So I learned to keep my opinion to myself. It was my truth that I'd come to realize by scholarship and studying. And if my truth is going to offend someone and only have them react negatively to me, then I have to accept that there is a proprietary of sharing. If someone doesn't ask for my opinion, I'm not going to volunteer it. As a result, all my friends, and I have a lot of friends, and we go out once a week, we go have dinner together, I eat what I want to eat, and they eat unhealthy. That's their business, all right? And we agree that the judge, the lawyer, the, you know, the physician, no one's going to use that closeness to say, oh, can you help me with this, that, and the other? We don't do that. So we respect the boundaries. And as a result, we've never had an argument. It's just wonderful, fun to be around people that you can share something in common. What we can't share in common, we respect it's the person's freedom of choice to have that choice. These are not stupid people. But in retrospect, when they die early, and I've had 16 friends die in the last 10 years prematurely, that's the consequence of making bad choices. But it's not my responsibility to tell them what you're doing is going to kill you because that suddenly changes the energy of a relationship. That's being self-righteous, even when it's your own family. And I can tell you how, trying to help my family, they did not like it. And my mother was very emphatic about it. We are smoking, we're drinking coffee, we're drinking alcohol, we're eating what you would call unhealthy foods. We like this. So you live your life, let us live ours. Okay, very straight to the point, that's my mother. And I, I accepted that. It was painful to accept it, but I had to accept it. So understand, you have a new insight. It's not your responsibility to run up and down the streets trying to convince everyone else that what they believe in is wrong. That's just self-righteousness. And we must respect other people's freedom of choice. Otherwise, we don't respect their choices. So therefore, we don't respect them. So you can love people who are different than you without you trying to correct them. And if you've got to correct people, the problem is you, not them. All right? That's it for today. Thank you all for listening.